Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. BuzzFeed reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold couldn't believe what they were seeing. Secret government documents showing suspicious banking transactions all over the globe. Gold, diamonds, oil, every sector of the economy is besmirched by this dirty money. Get the full story on suspicious activity inside the FinCEN files. A new podcast available on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. All episodes are available now. The hippest show in Charlotte, uh, Wilson and Parcel. We are on fleek as always. This hour is going to be on fleek, uh, and that's no cap. Uh, the great Cole Custer joins us in 25 minutes. We'll talk about his weekend on the road course. The results weren't great, but interested to see what he took away from that. He's also a Panther fan, so we'll get into that as well. Again, great NASCAR Cup Series driver, playoff-bound Cole Custer in 25 minutes. Now, though, Josh, we're we're still friends with the morning show, right? Yeah, I love those guys. Okay, so... Except for Preppy. So, uh, once again, it cannot be stated, Mac and T-Bone... There are boys, or so I thought. Uh, they took a few shots at us this morning. That okay? Well, it, they took a few shots at me. Yeah, okay. And it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't because of my lack of hipness or coolness. It was because of the conversation we had yesterday, where we we got into the 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 idea and the question of who's going to win more games over the next five years, Matt Rule or Ron Rivera. I had said Ron Rivera, and here was their rebuttal. Ron Rivera will be the eighth head coach that Daniel Snyder's had since he took over in 1999. He'll be the, they've had interim coaches, but in terms of like a, at least a season or more, Ron Rivera will be the eighth head coach. None of the coaches under Daniel Snyder have lasted more than five seasons. I, I, I've, I've said it all along. When he took the job, I said he shouldn't have taken it. And then when they had all that mess and all that uh, you know tumultuous stuff going on in the front office, I said again, Ron, why have you done this? Why have you taken this job? It is a place where coaching careers go to die. Like, and good coaches too. Mike Shanahan. Joe Mike, Mike Shanahan. Joe Gibbs and Mike Shanahan failed there. Ron Rivera has final personnel say in Washington. I don't understand. Think I don't, about that. I, I don't get that. How dysfunctional are you when you give Ron Rivera personnel? But I feel like it's already been proven that Daniel Snyder self-sabotages his own organization to where I don't believe any coach can go in there and win. For Nick to say that R- Rivera wins more games in five years than Rule, I find it, it, it basically impossible that Rivera is there in five years. And I don't think it's impossible. And I think, to me, Josh, it comes down to there, it is about the knowns. Dan Snyder, as an owner, is known for being one of the worst owners in the NFL 
Ron Rivera is also known for being a, a winning head coach, and he might be the guy. There's, a, I think there's a decent chance that he's the guy, and he has a trait that they've been missing in leadership. Whereas here, I think the t- I, I just find it really tough to broad uh, to try and uh, forecast the next five seasons because there's just so much unknown here. Mike Shanahan won 62% of his games, two Super Bowl titles as a head coach before he got to Washington, and it was a disaster. Uh, Joe Gibbs, first time around, uh, pre-Dan Snyder, won 64% of his games, got to Washington the second time around, had two winning seasons, but overall was 30 and 34 as the head coach in Washington. So you've had two coaches whose credentials prior to working with Dan Snyder are better than Ron's and Ron's very good, but better than Ron's who went to Washington and couldn't make it work. Uh, The ownership there has been a disaster for a long time. Do I think that Ron might have more, you know, Ron has more say in football matters than either Gibbs or Mike Shanahan did. So it it certainly could help his case. But do I think that Ron is going to somehow suddenly turn around a franchise that has had so many problems outside of head coach in the next five years? I don't have a ton of confidence in that. So that that point that that Mac was making, I think, is a good one. Is that you know you're right. There are more knowns with Washington, but the knowns are bad. Well, but the I, difference I, is the difference is the knowns right now from the leadership void that's been in Washington. They are addressing that, and they're addressing that more than they ever have with the different hirings they've made. That well, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't have anything to do with their their like that. That was a decision to postpone the new name. Was a decision that was outside their control, which was that somebody's been squatting all over the the copyrights. But they have, if you look at the infrastructure they're trying to build in Washington, that's something they've never had. And and quite frankly, Dan Snyder's never been under the fire that he's under right now. I find it I find it tough to see Dan Snyder over the next couple years. Try, I don't know that Dan Snyder is going to own the team in two years with a, with the reports that uh, his minority owners are trying to get him to sell while at the same time sell their own stake in the team. I think Dan Snyder has bigger fish to fry than than who's going to start or whether he's going to drive some of these guys off. That doesn't mean he's not he's ever going to become a great owner. It just means there is at least a chance now the situation can change in the organization that held the team back. And you do have a head coach who has proven to win in, in the NFL, whereas you look at the quarterback situation here. I don't know what Teddy Bridgewater is. I know I know he's an NFL quarterback. I know he he deserves to be on an NFL roster and is most likely a starting quarterback in the NFL. But beyond whether he's a franchised guy or a game stopper or a surgeon or all the different things, I don't know. Matt Rule, I have no idea what to expect of them. There are things that I like about him, but until we get a year to two to three years in, we're not going to know what we have with Matt Rule. I guess my, my point is there is at least something to offset the bad in Washington. I don't know. I, you can't offset the unknown here. Let's walk through this one by one here. So with all of that being said about, you know, Washington and everything, which which ownership structure, which ownership group do you have more confidence in Washington or Carolina? Well, we know it's it's here. Okay, which um, quarterback situation do you have more confidence in? I don't have it in either. 
But if you had to pick, which one would you pick? I, I honestly think it's a push. So, I, so you I think Teddy Bridgewater, I, who's who's has a winning record as an NFL quarterback who started in the playoffs QBR, and won a division, record means nothing. Well, well, right, but but Teddy Bridgewater, who has a track record of of being a starting quarterback on good football teams and has been a good quarterback, not the not an MVP or anything by any stretch of the imagination, but you you think it's a push between him and Dwayne Haskins, who was and, a, and was Alex a train wreck Smith, much of the time last year. That's another year. part of it. He's a former first, well, first off, Dwayne Haskins is also a, a former first round pick, a guy who was not put in any position to succeed. Right. So I don't really have any feelings on him. They do also have Alex Smith, who, while it's very early in the process, it feels like he could at least be a stabilizing force in that room, even if he doesn't play with Dwayne Haskins. And my, I don't know what Teddy Bridgewater is. We've never seen Teddy Bridgewater have to be anything more than what he was in Minnesota and what he was in New Orleans. He's going to have to be more than that this year for the Carolina Panthers. Correct? Yeah, but I, I still don't – like all of what you're saying is true, but none of it is is a case for why he's – the same as Dwayne Haskins, a rookie quarterback who well, barely I don't completed know what more he than fifty percent. I don't. I don't know what Teddy Bridgewater is. Well, but what does that mean, though? Like we know, we know that Teddy is a quarterback who's not going to take a ton of risks, who's going to take a lot of underneath routes, who's going to throw high percentage throws, isn't going to turn the ball over a ton. If you have a great run game and a good defense, he can win you a lot of games. If and you, you don't, if you that. don't. And if you don't, then he might be asked to be to to, to throw the ball into uh, places in the field that he normally isn't as comfortable throwing it. But we know that Teddy Bridgewater, by and large, is a competent starting quarterback and is a guy that any that, that not any team, but a lot of teams would feel comfortable if they had to put him on the field. With Dwayne Haskins, he's had a couple quarters where he looked okay, and he was a disaster last year as a rookie. Not all of that was his fault, but and then Alex Smith. With all due respect to Alex Smith, who it's an incredible story. The guy nearly lost his life with this injury. It's great that he's back coming off of, you know, he's been cleared to, to resume football activities. He's 37 years old, coming off of a life-threatening leg injury. If you're asking me who I have more confidence in, I have more confidence in Teddy Bridgewater. Okay, well, that's, that's and, good. And, and, I, I, don't, I don't have that same confidence. That's fine. And, and even, okay, and then if we move the ball forward, if it's not Teddy then it could be a top draft pick, right? And if it's not Dwayne or Alex Smith, it could be a top draft pick. So they both could, in two years, be building with a new quarterback, but the likelihood of that is pretty much equal for both. Well, but Maybe that, even but better for Carolina, who I think might be, have the worst roster see, right I, now. I, th- I just think that, to me, when I hear people talk about it, there are a lot of reasons to be excited about Panthers football, but, but some of those are suppositions, right? Like, okay, if Teddy doesn't work out, well, you're probably going to be in a position... To, to, to get a top three pick and get one of these quarterbacks. Well, probably isn't a definitive thing. Well, but, to, but to your point, you're, you, you've made the argument yourself uh, yesterday and today that you think Washington wins more games than Carolina. So if that's the case, who's more likely to get a better quarterback in the draft? That, but that but again, that's right now, that's on paper. But like, I, I guess, I well, guess my point your, I'm is... I was saying that was your case. Well, but like my point is, you might be 1% more likely to get a top three pick... There have been there have been teams that have spent eons in the quarterback abyss, and right now there's not a lot to suggest that the Carolina Panthers aren't going into a quarterback abyss. Other than Teddy Bridgewater was pretty good in two places where he had to be really a guy who didn't lose the game. That's not what he's going to be asked to be here. I don't think it's guaranteed Teddy's going to be here in two years. And people are are either making that supposition or that there's a better option behind door B, which is that they're going to have a top five pick or a top three pick. 
I don't have a supposition for either thing. There's, it's a, it, we need to get real with the idea that they could be one of the five worst teams in the NFL next year, and they could not be in a position to take a quarterback. And that Teddy Bridgewater could have been exposed as somebody who wasn't ready to be here or wasn't ready for to be what the Panthers need. And then you're no closer to having the quarterback of the future. But you could, in theory, draft players and sign players to put around Teddy to make him more comfortable where he could win because he's done that before. Like the, 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 everybody thinks you're three, right? That, that's the deadline, yeah. Okay. So I look at Washington, and I look at Washington and think that over the next two years, they're going to win more games. Some of that's because I think the NFC East is a little is going to be a little bit easier. In uh, some of it is just that I think their roster is better right now. And I think they have the better head coach. The, sorry, the more proven head coach right now. Who runs a better so, head coach than Rule? So if if we look at the next two to three years, and I think, all right, I think they're going to win more games here in the near future. When people say, well, in three years they're going to be better. How is how does anybody know? It, and like it's I, not. Oh, well, but, but, but Nick, this is not a segment where we're asking for guarantees. This is a segment where, or or a question where we're asking what's more likely. See, I think you're you're saying well, like you you can't. No, but you can't argue against your point because your point is, well, we don't know. Well, well obviously, the, the whole the whole structure of this question is about probability and likelihood. It's not about what will and won't happen. It's about who is better positioned to be to win more games in a couple of years. And if that's the question, that's when you can look at all of the factors in Carolina that that could lead to them being really, really good over the next five years, or at least be, not even really, really good, but better than Washington. In Washington, you're basically saying, well, we know Ron Rivera is a good coach well that's true but that was also true of head coaches in the past who have been better than ron ron has not won a super bowl ron had a worse winning percentage than either joe gibbs or mike shanahan and both of those guys left in shambles in, in washington in with the same ownership situation that ron rivera finds himself in today. i would argue that ron's situation is worse i i would i would argue against that bruce <laughs> allen and Vinny serato no longer being there is good for them. Ron Rivera having more control might be the thing that they need. And and honestly, how many head coach GM combos have worked in the NFL? Not many. Not many. Uh, Belichick is like the only one. Is that that is not a structure that works out very well? Ends well for for many teams. It well, is but, it is but been that's proven a not to work. Point and not specific. Well, oh, it's to historically the idea. proven. Well, no, but but it has worked out. So just because it hasn't worked out in other situations, this is this is Ron Rivera has more power uh, of his control of his own future in Washington, which is good considering who has been in power. Mike Shanahan had to constantly fight with Bruce Allen over the roster. That was a big reason why they failed there. Joe Gibbs had to fight with Vinny Serrato. That's a big reason why they failed there. That's no longer in place. That mechanism is no longer there. So that should be a positive for the Washington organization. That's something you can broadcast going forward. 704-570-9610. Ruler Rivera, who's going to win more games over the next five years uh, in their current spot? And uh, it can be a positive it can be a negative. It depends on the situation. Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ, Cole Custer, NASCAR uh, Series driver, or Cup Series driver, going to be joining us in seven minutes here on the show. He's also a big Panther fan. And while we're talking about the Carolina Panthers here, ESPN 
went through their rankings of most and least for quarterbacks in the NFL. And uh, some of these things have to do, uh, are they're all dealing with different traits. And for Teddy Bridgewater, he was ranked as the least aggressive quarterback in the NFL. And it was based off his time last year in New Orleans. I, I think... This, this can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, depending on when where you play and, and the talent you're surrounded with. I think the situation is what makes it tough to say it's a good thing for Carolina. Yeah, it depends. You know, this year with the Panthers, the defense is going to be bad. And if, if the Panthers end up falling behind in games and they're needing to score quickly and put together drives in a hurry and take more shots downfield and hit more explosive plays, that's going to put Bridgewater in a situation he's never really been in before. When he was in Minnesota, that offense was conservative by nature. Same thing in New Orleans last year. I mean, even when Drew Brees is on the field, they're just not a team that tries to take a lot of big shots downfield through the air. You know, Drew Brees has only completed one pass in two seasons, last two years, that traveled more than 35 yards in the air. It's just not part of their offense, and it's not part of Bridgewater's game to this point either. So, you know, when ESPN ranks its quarterbacks and they say Teddy Bridgewater's the least aggressive, it could be viewed as a bad thing if it's in Carolina where the defense is struggling and they don't have the same sort of uh, run game. I, I'm, well, that's not true. They have a good run game in McCaffrey. It's more about the offensive line that I'm concerned about. But for, for Bridgewater... I look at the guys who were least aggressive around him. Case Keenum was number two on this list. Case Keenum did not have a good run game. He had an okay defense last year, not a good one by any stretch. He had an average at best offensive line, actually below average offensive line. And he only had one real threat at wide receiver in Terry McLaurin. So Case Keenum being a, a, a non-aggressive quarterback led to Washington being bad. Jacoby Brissett, same thing. But I look further down the list of guys and I see Jimmy Garoppolo and I see Drew Brees and I see Tom Brady and I say, okay, you put pass catching running backs, you give them a good offensive line, a good defense and being aggressive or, or being conservative, I should say, can work in the NFL. There's not one model of quarterback that leads to being a really good offense, a productive offense, but the Panthers have holes that they have to fill. And this season, I think it's going to put Bridgewater in some positions where he may struggle at times, not all the time, but moving forward, there is a model to where you can win because Garoppolo has done it. Breeze has done it. Brady has done it and several others. Yeah, you can win, but I think you, you question first is Teddy being put in a position with those elements he needs. I think we can agree. It's probably not right. So that, that stands to reason that, that maybe this could potentially be a problem. And I think the other thing we heard, not just from new Orleans, but also in Minnesota, when we've talked to people is it's not just that Teddy hasn't been asked to make those throws down the field because he hasn't, and that's a fair statement to be made. He hasn't made a lot of those throws down the field. There's also been a lot of conversation about his comfort level in throwing the ball down the field, and that's different than his ability to do it, right? Uh, that's something that they talked about early on in New Orleans last year. They really had to coach him on, don't be afraid to take that shot when it's there, and it's been something that they've talked about with Teddy his entire career. He is more comfortable in a situation, probably because it's been what he's been asked to do, but he is more uh, comfortable in his career in the, not necessarily, I don't want to call it a check down Charlie, but again, being less aggressive and not having to push the ball down the field. When he starts to have to make those throws this year and have to, I don't mean just have to in terms of, the occasional throw, but if the Panthers are behind by a touchdown or more, if they're trailing in the second half and he's got to throw 20 passes in the second half, 
Is he going to be comfortable enough? Is it is it in his DNA to push the ball down the field the way you might have to with a team with this bad of a defense? And I think that's a question mark. I don't want to paint it that it's a for sure that he can't, but I think it's a, it's a pretty damn good question mark to have and an interesting one. And I think that's what makes Teddy so interesting is the unknown of that very specific part of his game. You know, Bridgewater, if he had enough attempts last year, would have been top five in the league in accuracy on deep balls. Uh, going back to 2015, he would have been or was top five in the league in accuracy on deep balls. He just doesn't throw a ton of them. Uh, I think it's more about the system he's played in than his willingness to do it or his lack of physical traits. He, he had a strong arm at, at Louisville. He's shown off that strong arm at Minnesota. You, you watch the throws that he made in 2015. You watch some of the throws he made in New Orleans. There's not a high number of them, but I, I fully trust that Teddy's capable of doing it. Is he going to throw across his body 45 yards and hit you know Curtis Samuel in stride for a touchdown? Probably not going to happen very much, if at all. But when Teddy is asked to deliver 25-yard out, routes and drop the ball down the middle of the field and split safeties 20 yards downfield. He's proven he can do it. And I think if he's asked to do it, he probably can. It's not where he's strongest, but it's something that's a part of his game. Teddy Bridgewater ranked as the least aggressive quarterback in the NFL. Is that a good thing, a bad thing or nothing at all? And uh, as we have talked a lot of Panthers here, we're going to go to one of the big Panthers fans in NASCAR here. You know him, as the driver of the number 41 car, uh, he is in the playoffs here. Uh, and and they, we are getting closer to the playoffs. The round is 16 coming up in September. Uh, he is the great Cole Custer. He joins us every single Tuesday on the Technicom hotline at 527. Cole, welcome back to the show, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Well, listen, I there's some. I know we got racing to get to, but we're on the topic of Teddy Bridgewater. I know that you are a Panthers fan here. I know we've had similar conversations, but for once and for all, there's no time to get off the bandwagon. You gotta cement here if you say it right now. Are you all in on Teddy Bridgewater being the quarterback, not just of the present but of the future for the Panthers? Look, I, I'm all in on it. I mean, I think he can do a good job. I think one of the biggest things that I'm questioning, and hopefully we can do good, is protecting him. I think uh, you know that's something that at times we struggled a little bit with with Cam. So I think if we can give him some time to throw and give him some good uh, good options. I think uh, I think he can do it. Cole. A lot of people are watching Cam right now. You mentioned his name, Ipa New England, and obviously Patriots fans are, are hanging on his every move. But there's a lot of Panthers fans who are still passionate about Cam, and a lot of them want to see him succeed in New England almost as a way to stick it to the Panthers for letting him go. Do you care? Like, do you care? Like, Cam Newton right now, he worked out in New England today. Are you interested in that? Is that something you care about as a guy who's followed him for you know eight years in Carolina? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, it's not the typical Bill Belichick, you know, deal, I don't think, you know, to have a, a running quarterback and have that all going on. So I think it'll be really really interesting to see how Cam does, does in, with that team. But overall, I mean, I think a healthy Cam is, is pretty good. But, I mean, I think it's just something where he has to find a way to be 100%. All right, Cole. Now, you've been joining us for a few weeks here on the show. And since that's happened... We've had a few kerfuffles with you. Is a, it, Could it possibly be a Wilson and Parcell curse? Are we holding you back, my friend? That's what I'm going to blame it on, I guess. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a little bit of a rough few weeks for us, so we're hopefully we can turn around this week. we got two races we can turn, turn it around Dover. Yeah, you got you got the final doubleheader here. So is is there a difference between or is there or how much of a difference is there in your preparation 
for a doubleheader versus just a good old you know single race on Sunday? Uh, you know, honestly, it's not too much different. I think uh, the biggest difference from a driver's standpoint is just being physically prepared. I mean, being hydrated enough for two races back-to-back is definitely a challenge. I mean, this week in Daytona, I mean, a lot of people were really wore out. It was so humid, really hot out in the cars. So um, it definitely hasn't been the easiest summer, honestly, with how hot it's been. And after the race this weekend, you're going to stick around. You're going to test the the next gen cars, which were at one point going to be released next year. They pushed it back to 2022. What can you tell us about those cars? Have you been in one before? Uh, I haven't. So this is the first time I'm going to be driving one. It's uh, it's real, a lot different than anything we have right now. So the steering is different. It has independent rear suspension. Where we still run truck arms in our cars, which are you know is technology that was made in the 60s so it's uh definitely gonna be a lot different you know transferring to these cars and hopefully we can learn a lot from the test and kind of you know go in the right direction with it i think it's definitely good that that's been delayed to next year to the next year following uh or i think it's coming in 2022 so yeah it's definitely uh just a lot of things to work out now, is this like a test drive, like when I go to the dealership and like I got to just go out on the highway for 10 minutes and then I got to bring it back? Or is this, uh, do you actually get to be in the car for a little while? I get to be in there for <laughs> a little while. I'm hoping that I don't scuff it up or get it in the fence or do anything bad. So hopefully I can just have a clean test and bring it back home good. Cole, I got to know, do you, when you go to buy a new car, when they see that you're a NASCAR driver, is there, do they get timid about letting you drive their cars? I haven't had any too big problems yet. I mean, I think uh, they probably look at me a little bit weird, especially whenever I've gotten pulled over. I don't ever use that card. I'd never say that I'm, I'm a NASCAR driver because I don't think that's going to go down very well. See, I've tried to use. I'm a sports talk radio host, and they seem to find me more for that. <laughs> I would think so, too. Cole, uh, he is Cole Custer. He's joining us on the Technicom hotline here on Wilson and Parcel. You can hear him every single Tuesday here on the show, I don't even know with the Wilson and Parcel cur- cur- curse. I don't know if I can wish you good luck this weekend. I feel like I should wish you bad luck and see if maybe we can get a win out there. That might be the thing to do. I mean, honestly, I think uh, we've had a what, rough few weeks, so maybe we can do the opposite this week and we'll, we'll make some stuff happen. All right, do not win this weekend. Do you? N- yeah, do you not suck. dare. Uh, <laughs> be like the Panthers in twenty twenty, Cole. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. I think it'll work out great. Thanks, Cole. Hey, buddy, we really do appreciate it. Uh, have a have a, have a weekend. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Cole Custer there on the Technicom hotline. Have a weekend, Cole Custer. See, I'm not I, – maybe that's the other way. Maybe we just don't say good or bad. We just say go out there and live those two days of your life. <laughs> just go out there. Just show up. And show up. Hydrate or don't. I don't care. Whatever you do, uh, the great Cole Custer there. When we come back, it is time for the rundown on Sports Radio FNC. Sports Radio FNC, welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. I think I got butt dialed by one of my mentors. Well, there's like a what kind of mentor. Well, no, so he like is big brother, little brother kind of thing. No, or? no, no. Like no. he is, uh, he was like one of the guys in the business who he's kind of a Cleveland radio big shot. He's been his name's Les Levine. He's been in Cleveland sports radio for as long as I can remember, and he's one. He's somebody who really has helped me in my career. And he's always been great to me. But I got a call from him 
and I, I just went to listen to the voicemail, and it's just, you know, it, it's like 45 seconds of sounding like you're in somebody's pocket, and I texted wow. him. Congrats. Because he's elderly. He's elderly. I was like, older. I, if he heard that, he'd kick my ass. But he is an older guy. He's like in his early six, early 70s. I, I, I asked him, like, hey, man, did you butt dial me? No response yet. Mm. Should I have even acknowledged it, or should I have just let the butt? Uh, should I just assume a butt dial? Well, yeah, I would say that the crumpling paper message gives it away. <laughs> it's a pretty big hint that it wasn't. Uh, unless has he done this before? Has he has he called you before? He and is just not crumpled a habitual paper butt phone? dialer. Yeah, then it's yeah, it's probably an accident. Okay. I think you're good. Well, then, like, was, was he thinking about texting you or calling you because? It doesn't just like randomly butt dial somebody. Like I, you never know. I want to know, like, what did he have your number? He, he does still have dial? a flip phone. He oh. does still have a flip phone, so it's it's possible. Yeah. Wait, like a, but yeah, but well, not not a razor. What were the other little the little Motorola ones that you could snap an after real easily? His, the razors. His yeah, phone. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the razors were a little flatter and and longer. This was like the little. I'm doing a horrible job of explaining of explaining the it, edge? but maybe the Isn't edge. Maybe the edge. We'll go with that. Sure. It sounds like it could be. Uh, well, we'll find out if if I get an update from Les Levine and see if he's butt dialed me. I'll let everybody know here. In the meantime, it is time for the rundown here. Panthers coach Matt Rule. Uh, spoke to the media yesterday and was asked what he sees out of Taylor Moten. Uh, Coach, yesterday we talked to Taylor Moten. Uh, can you talk about him and just what he's looked like during training camp? Um, I think he's, uh, I think he's, you know, one of one of the one of the really bright young players, you know, on the team. Um, really, really smart player, uh, physical, um, constantly working to get better. And uh, you know when I when I got here and watched the tape from last year, I really liked what he did last year. And I think the way he plays and the things that he does really fit our our scheme. So I've been very pleased with him so far. Hmm, I hadn't heard that yet. It just, that he he reacted as if someone had just asked him to like solve a like an SAT problem. It, how do you, what do you think about Taylor Moten? You're starting right tackle. Uh, he's physical. That was kind of weird. Anyway, uh, you know, happy birthday to Taylor Moten. Uh, I don't know how old he's turning today, but happy birthday to him. And I think that Moten is going to be a really intriguing question over the next couple of months because the Panthers do have cap space. Moten's contract is up after next season. And you would think he's a guy that they would potentially want to re-sign, but maybe this is going to be a more of a prove-it year for Moten. He was extremely good two years ago. Uh, some of the numbers on, on Moten, and I'm not an O-line expert, but just looking at the numbers, pass block win rate, he was number two in the NFL. That's a great stat. Uh, he was good. Last season, he was fine, but the offensive line struggled to keep Allen out of the backfield. Hopefully this year, the Panthers stay, or keep defenders out of the backfield on Allen. But hopefully this year, the offensive line stays healthy and Moten gets back to the guy we saw two years ago and he gets an extension he's a really good tackle i'd say he's one of the top 20 or so tackles in the league one of the casualties of turnover is you will occasionally have good players who sometimes it's about fit sometimes it's about they want their own guy you'll have turnover and sometimes good players are part of that casualty i hope are our casualty to that i hope it's not taylor moden he's a young really high level right tackle 
who seems to fit the scheme that they want to do. You know, Russell Okung saying he's one of the best young right tackles in the game. He was quoted saying that today when Russell Okung met with the media. So I I look at that. I want to know why he isn't signed yet because I'm starting to get a little paranoid here. If he's not signed before uh, before the season, that probably means we're not going to see it until the offseason. Mm-hmm. And man, once those guys get close to, to free agency, the best advice is just go to the market and see what happens. I don't want the Panthers in that situation with a kid that it feels like we should have under contract. Yeah, so I would imagine this is just my my read on the situation. I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine Moten is potentially betting on himself and thinking that if he's healthy this season and has a good year, he can make a lot of money on the open market. You look at some of the tackle money that's getting handed out, it's big money. And if if Taylor Moten thinks that he should get paid like what Jack Conklin's getting paid and upwards of $14, $15 million a year... I don't know that he's that good. He's good. I don't know that he's that good. And if he's asking for that kind of money, maybe Carolina says, well, we'll let you bet on yourself this year and we'll see how it goes. But I I would imagine that's my read on it right now because I'm sure the Panthers like having Taylor Moten. He's a very good tackle. But if he's asking for top five tackle in the league money, he's not a top five tackle in the league. I could see why the Panthers in the midst of a rebuild might be hesitant to give it out. Yeah, I think my problem is if he bets on himself and then he does really well. Let him go. Well, okay, but then you have Russell Okung's going to be a free agent. Moten's going to be a free agent. You're, you're the whole point of, of rebuilding is that you plug holes. You don't add to those holes. But you also don't overpay for at any position, really. You don't overpay. I mean, players do get overpaid all the time in the NFL, and it doesn't always come back to be the the thing that curses franchise. You could, you could argue across Dallas's offensive line that they put a lot of money into their offensive line and that they have maybe set the market for guys who are really good offensive linemen, but they may be overpaid just to keep those guys, and they're worth well, every damn penny. Well, well, right, because they have the best O-line in the league and they want to keep it together. The Panthers have nothing on the offensive line. I wouldn't I wouldn't overpay to keep this offensive line together. I that, would that's overpay the day. to keep Taylor Moten. I don't think the logic of saying that, well, some guys get overpaid should justify overpaying someone. You know what I mean? Well, like no, if you're going to overpay, the, I think the point is, every, they're like every team overpays people. Taylor Moten's one of the guys I'm okay with overpaying. Eh, uh, he's good, but he's. I think this year is going to be a big year for him. Number two. On the other side of the old line, Russell Okung spoke to the media. He addressed reports uh, from a couple of weeks ago that he considered retirement because of COVID-19. Here was how Okung responded to that today. You know, I think it's unfortunate um, that you know so many people. Um, uh, certain people in the media uh, are more interested in being the first to report as opposed to reporting something which is accurate. Uh, no conversations like that have been had in order for for uh, uh, that individual to feel it necessary to put any information out there like that. And especially in, in, in during this time when so many uh, people, Americans across the world, are uh, dealing with uh, unemployment uh, to even uh, put any sort of farce of information out there is uh, extremely disappointing. Uh, but look, I, I will say, look, I get an opportunity to do something that I love. And so many people uh, across the world are unemployed or going through really difficult situations. Um, and my heart definitely goes out to them. But uh, as, as for me, um, I still have a job. Uh, I still get a chance to report every morning uh, doing something that, uh, that I've been gifted to do. And I'm going to put my best foot forward and continue to do that, regardless of the situation. Russell's a different guy. 
you know, today some of his answers weren't kind of your typical answers. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, which is something you pointed out yesterday, and I checked out his Twitter, uh, that's a bit of a trip. I, I don't mean any of this in a bad way. He's an interesting guy, and in, in to me, what is a good way? I have no idea what to make of him, but I'd rather that than the bland PR answers about this, that, and the other. Yeah, I'm a little put off by some of the stuff Okung puts on Twitter, but you know everybody's entitled to their own opinion and to use their platform however they want. I think some of the stuff Okung's putting on Twitter is flat out irresponsible. If you want to go read it and make your own decision, that's up to you. Uh, as far as the the report about retirement, sure, if if that was an erroneous report, he deserves to take the media to task for that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I had no idea of what was happening with those reports. It stood to reason from the outside that Okung might be considering it simply because he does have a very serious medical condition that he, he had just a year ago. So maybe that would factor into his decision. But I don't know if he was considering it or not. If, if he wasn't and it was reported that he was, I would be upset, too. Number three. Uh, Nick Saban, I'm not sure if you've heard of this fellow. He is a uh, head coach with Alabama in the SEC. Uh, he was on Get Up this morning and was asked about football in the spring. Because I think one of the, you know, the real consequences of this is, you know, if you're a junior or senior and you have an NFL grade, um, are you going to play in the spring? Uh, or is that going to become sort of a JV season? with a lot of these juniors and seniors opting out uh, and not playing their senior year, which, you know, is, is sort of something that they'll probably miss for a long time. So He's right, but that shouldn't be the thing that stops college football from happening in the spring. Uh, there are a lot of players who, if they feel like they're going to get drafted in the spring – it is not going to benefit them to try to play football in the spring, risk injury, and then it could affect their draft stock. Totally understand that, and I respect those decisions. That should not be the thing that keeps college football from happening because there will be plenty of players who will still play, of course, guys who aren't even draft eligible, uh, and maybe other guys who feel like the reward outweighs the risk of playing, right? If you're a projected fifth rounder, is it better for you to sit out and just you know erase the risk of getting hurt uh, or is it better for you to play and try to improve your draft stock i would wager it's better for you to play yes it's gonna alabama's the kind of team that will get hurt more than than most by this because alabama's got more future pros on its team than most but 85 to 90 percent of college football teams might lose a player here or there by and large their roster is going to remain intact so I don't think that this should be some sort of reason. Fear of losing players to opting out shouldn't keep us from playing spring football. There are there are arguments to be made against playing college football in the spring. That, to me, is not one of them. Yeah, Nick Saban's JV team could kick most of the asses in college football. Listen, I think the concern is valid, and I, I think that's something that uh, every coach in America is going to have to deal with. I also don't think it's one of the five most important reasons on whether to push football into the spring or not. In some ways, this is, you know, a legitimate concern that really should have no bearing on whether they play or not. Number four. Rick Bunnell joined the clubhouse today from the Charlotte Observer. The show. And Kyle asked him, friend of every show, Rick is everywhere. Kyle asked him about the Hornets. About their needs, going into the NBA draft, the lottery is on Thursday night. The Hornets have the eighth best chance to get the number one pick. So here's what Benell had to say heading into Thursday night's lottery. You know, I think it's very dangerous to look at this roster and think about needs because Mitch 
has, has signaled so clearly that, you know, roster balance right now is not his priority. I do think that Wiseman or Avia definitely address areas where they really need help. The only need that I think the Hornets should consider is the need to not have LaMelo Ball on this roster next year and beyond. That is the rundown. 704-570-9610. What's your best case scenario for the Hornets? Last night, however, was just the tip of the iceberg for Hornets fans. Sports Radio, FNC.